That's all I can say. Aren't you glad God knows your name? And if he doesn't know your name, your name's not written in the book of life today. Our prayer today is that before you leave today that you'll have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. It'll be written in heaven. He'll know your name for certain and that you know for certain that you have a place reserved in heaven, eternal place in the heavens for you. It's good to be back at Solid Rock. I'm Larry Cheek. If you don't know me, uh, some of you may say, oh gosh, that's the guy that came preached about money. Here's the good news. You can smile. I'm not preaching about money today. I'm preaching about something else, okay? And so you can relieve. You can let go of your pocketbook. It's all right, okay? Um, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 1. So if you've got your Bible, if you've got your red Bible, hold it up. Anybody got a red Bible? Hold your red Bible up. Red Bible. R-E-A-D. R-E-A-D. Red Bible. Got some red Bibles? Okay. Some of you got them on your phone. All right. So we're going to see, look at your Bible, Revelation chapter 1. You're going to have to start with me and stay with me. We're going to go fast through Revelation chapter 1. We're going to look at the entire chapter. While you turn there, I want to share with you some things of what we've been doing and I've been involved in and our association of churches has been involved in since you've seen me last. I appreciate your pastor, my dear friend Mike Franklin, invited me to come preach today. In his absence, Mike and I go way back. Our kids went to school together, and we've been friends for a long time, and I'm glad he was able to take some time off and invite me to come and speak this morning to you. You're part of a larger association of churches. This past Thursday night, our association of churches had our annual meeting, our 107... Um, yeah, 179th annual session. Some of y'all old enough to remember the first one we had 179 years ago, okay? But we met 179th session. That's how long the Stone Mountain Baptist Association of Churches has been around. That's a fellowship of churches in East Metro Atlanta that have been around 179 years. We actually have some churches that have been here 175 plus years or in some churches close to 200 years old in this area. And so they've been in fellowship with each other, accomplishing what one church could not do together. And your church is a part of that fellowship. We're 100 churches strong, worshiping in 25 languages. So when you worship here, there are other churches in East Metro Atlanta worshiping in 25 other languages from around the world. And we're doing a great work. God's allowing us to do some neat things. Since I met with you last, we've started two new churches here in Newton County. One of them is a Hispanic church, meeting in the old Snapping Shows Baptist Church building down on 212 and Georgia 81, right off the corner there. Uh, Felipe Samanguino is the pastor there of the True Vine Baptist Church because it talks about in the Scripture in the New Testament that we're supposed to be connected to the True Vine, and the True Vine is Jesus. I was there for his installation service about two months ago. Uh, about 50 to 60 Hispanic-speaking people there gathered for the worship service. In the coming weeks, by the end of this month, we'll be launching the Clearview Ministry Church, Baptist Church, over at the Old Cousins School, uh, which was um, is over on Geiger Street in Covington here, where the DDS is, where you go get your driver's license. And it's now part of the New Rock Academy, so they're going to be using the old cafeteria where I went to middle school at for a church building and a church place. 
And that pastor there is Russell Graves. It's an African-American church. Russell already has 100 people gathered. He hadn't even had his first service yet. And so God is blessing in the Bible studies he's already started. So pray for Russell and his new church. Our Bow Mission Builders, which is our construction team, has been down in Vidalia, Georgia. It's one of our projects. I accompanied them there along with my 12-year-old grandson. We were down in Vidalia building the Dream Center, which is a drug and alcohol treatment home for women that is sponsored by the association in the Vidalia area to help women that have been uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol. And then our disaster relief team, we accompanied them down to Savannah, Georgia, and down to Brunswick, Georgia. You might say, well, I don't think that was affected by Hurricane Irma. You'd be surprised. Hurricane Irma messed up a lot of places, and Savannah and Brunswick were two of them. And we had a low uh, feeding level unit down there. We were only feeding 3,000 meals a day. You think you cook a lot, you want to feed 3,000 people a day, go with us sometime. Uh, that was down from what we did with Hurricane Katrina, where we were feeding 20,000 meals a day. And so we fed 3,000 meals a day to hurricane victims with the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army would come in with their canteen trucks. They'd pick up the food. We'd cook it outside under tents, much like you do your barbecue event here. And we'd, they'd take it and put it on their trucks and take it out and serve it to the victims in the area of these people that had lost their homes and also to those that are first responders and to those that are working and trying to get power restored and people back into their homes and clean up and recover crews as well. So all of that I say is to say that when you give, as you did in the offer plate a moment ago, a portion of your gifts goes to support what I just told you about. And I want to say thank you. Now I want to talk to you this morning out of Revelation chapter 1 on the subject, a revelation that started a revolution. Something that changes our lives is a revolution. Our entire world seems to be wrapped up and all concerned about what's happening in Washington. If you look at the news, we're always hearing about what Trump's doing, what the Republicans are doing, what the Democrats are doing, and everything that's going on in Washington. And everybody seems to be like this toward each other up there. Have you noticed that? Nod your head this way, okay? All right, you've noticed that. And you never hear any good news. Well, the reality of it is, is you're not going to hear any good news because we're, we're approaching what John saw as the revelation and the end time, and it's not going to get any better. It's actually going to get worse. And when it gets worse, that means that the answers to what the problems are of this world aren't going to be happening in Washington. They're going to happen in God's house when you and I wake up and realize that Jesus Christ is walking and working among the church. And the question today is, is he working and walking in your life? Now, you might say, well, yeah, he is. But I'm wanting to ask you seriously, is he working in a casual way or is it in a serious and a deep walk that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, real change, and one of our presidents ran on that platform that he was running on the platform of real change. Real change is not going to take place, and change you can believe in is not going to take place in Washington. Change you can believe in is going to take place right here. And change you can believe, it's okay to say amen, all right, in the Baptist church, in case you forgot 
Real change takes place when you and I believe in the holy God and his son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle John was no stranger to hatred that was in our world. And hatred was in the first century as well. And here was John, a prisoner on a small island of Patmos, about 15 miles from the city of Ephesus. It was an uninhabitable island. He had been banished there. He was the only person on that island all by himself by Domitian, who was one of the most cruel rulers and emperors that ever sat on the throne. And he was there because he was demanded to worship Nero. And he was demanded to say that Caesar is Lord. And he refused to do so. And so they banished him to this island because John would not say Caesar is Lord. John said, Jesus is Lord. Now, there's going to come a day when you and I may be called upon to do the very same thing that John had to do in the first century. Who are you going to claim as Lord? And those that are casual, thank you very much for that. Those that are casual Christians may cave into the pressure and say, well, whoever you want me to say is Lord is Lord, as long as it's going to keep me going and I can stay in the conference zone and enjoy all the creature comforts that I have here on this earth. But John was willing to stand up, had enough backbone to say, Jesus is the Lord of my life. John was a prisoner there because of two things. He was a witness to the word of God and for his testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John was not only a witness, but the Bible says that he was also in the spirit on the Lord's day. So I'm assuming this morning that I'm talking to spiritual people. Just like John was a spiritual person, and it was a spirit working on the Lord's day, and you and I are in the spirit today. Amen? Amen. So I want you to look at what John saw on the Lord's day on this inhabitable island, this des- deserted island, when God spoke to him in Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read the entire chapter, and in honor of God's word, I'm going to ask you if you would, you were doing it a while ago. I was sitting a little bit because y'all stood the whole time, and I knew I was going to stand more than you were in just a little bit. I'm going to ask you to stand now for the reading of God's Word. Would you do that? The revelation of Jesus Christ, and this is read from the Holman Christian Standard Version of the Bible. So if it reads a little different than yours, it's still God's Word. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his slaves what must quickly take place, he sent it and signified it through his angel to his slave John who testified to God's word and to the testimony about Jesus Christ and all he saw. Blessed is the one who reads, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is coming from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him and all the families of the earth will mourn over him. This is certain. Amen. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is coming, the Almighty. And I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation, kingdom and perseverance in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of God's word and the testimony about Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet saying, Write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Oh, and Solid Rock. Oh, did you see that? Okay. I turned to see the voice that was turned speaking to me. And when I turned and I saw seven gold lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a long robe and with a gold sash wrapped around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow, his eyes like fiery flame, his feet like fire and bronze fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. In his right hand he had seven stars. From his mouth came a two-edged sword, and his face was shining like sun at midday. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me, and he said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. The living one. I was dead. But look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. Therefore, write what you've seen and what is and what will take place after this. The secret of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are those seven churches. Father God, would you bless the reading of your word. Lord God, speak through me. And Lord God, speak to me. And speak to your people this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may take your seat. John paid strict attention to what he saw and he heard and he wrote down. I want you to notice something. John had to change his viewpoint in order to see Jesus. Now, if you're allowed to write down something and remember it, you write down things, you remember them a lot better. You may want to write down a few things, not because it's noteworthy what I said, but what God's Word says is very noteworthy. John had to change his viewpoint in order to see Jesus. And you and I may need to do that as well. We may need to change the way we look at things in order to see what really is. Because so many times we get caught up on things that don't really matter as much as we think they do. We get wrapped up in the music and we get wrapped up in the way things happen and things that happen that really aren't that important and we get wrapped up in who spoke to us and who didn't speak to us and how somebody acted toward us and how somebody treated us and all of those things really don't matter at the end of the day. What really matters is, is our relationship to Jesus Christ. And what we're here for is to worship him. And John had to change his viewpoint in order to see Jesus. John paid strict attention to what he heard, what he saw, and he wrote it down. And note the stages. In verse number 10, he said, I heard. 
Then he said in verse number 12, I saw. And in verse 17, he said, I fell at his feet as if I were a dead man. So when we get a fresh glimpse of Jesus, we're challenged to witness, we're challenged to worship, and we're challenged to wait. And that's what I want to talk to you in depth about this morning. John realized that his best ministry was still ahead of him, that God wasn't finished with him yet. Here he was on a deserted island, and he was seeing the heavens roll back, and he saw what the end times were going to be like long before they came because they still haven't come. So he saw the end, and he saw what God was going to do at the end in the first century, and here we are centuries later, and we still haven't seen the end. But John saw it because John was in the Spirit, and he was looking for what God had in store for him in that day. What are you looking for? What are you seeing? Are you in the Spirit? Are you looking for what God's got for you? Are you paying attention to what God's doing in your life? The risen Christ has been walking among the churches all along. And we keep adding things to the church. If you go back and read chapters 2 and chapter 3, you'll see there were seven letters that were written to those churches. And in each one of them, he bragged, Jesus did, about those churches and something they were doing. But also he said, there's some things you're doing that you need to stop doing. And I'm afraid that those churches kept on doing those things. And I see a lot of times in church life, even today, there's things that we're doing that we need to stop doing so we can do better things. And I'm saying to us, sometimes we need to stop some things so we can do the better things. And yet sometimes we just keep on doing the same things and we expect to get different results. And the reality of it is, God may be saying to you in your life, there's some things you need to stop doing. So you can start doing the things I want you to do. And the Bible calls that word repent. It means to do a 180. Quit doing some things and start doing the right things that God's calling you to do. When you see a church dying and not willing to repent, you see Jesus Christ coming to remove the lampstand that it talks about in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 from that church. The lampstand does not project light. The lampstand simply conveys light and the light was taken away because they did not repent they did not do what God wanted them to do Moses came down off the mount of the mount of mount Sinai he had he had seen the hand of God the finger of almighty God himself write the ten commandments y'all remember that okay he did So he saw the Ten Commandments be written by the finger of God. And when he came down, his face was glowing because he had seen and been in the presence of Almighty God. And because he had been so close to his presence, he put a veil on his face. But you know what happened to Moses after a while? The presence and that glow of his face went away. And in Corinthians, Paul said that what Moses kept doing, though, was he kept wearing that veil as if the presence was still there. And yet the presence wasn't there in Moses' life. And I'm afraid that that's sometimes how you and I are. If we're really honest about it, in my life there's been some dry times when I might have been continuing to wear the veil. And I made people think, boy, I was really deep with the Lord. I was really falling after the Lord when really I was just wearing a veil. 
I wasn't really following the Lord as closely as I needed to be. And I was like Moses. I wanted people to think that I was, but I wasn't really following him like I needed to. And this book was written to exalt Jesus. Verse, chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us that this is the only book that if you read this book, it promises you a blessing. Did you see that? A threefold blessing. And it's on the slide that's coming up. Blessed is he who keeps what he reads. Blessed is he in chapter, th- uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he that gives attention to what he reads. And blessed is he that considers what he reads. So it's been read to you this morning. So I'm asking you, are you going to keep what you read? Are you going to give attention to it? Or are you going to do anything with what's been read today? So at the end of the service, we're going to give an invitation in just a few minutes. Ooh, in just a real few minutes, okay? And so the reality of it is, when we get to the invitation time, the question is going to be, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with what you heard, what you saw, and what is God saying to you about your personal life? Why do you need to do something about it? Because just like in that day and time, He closed that blessing and saying we need to do something because the time is at hand. Verses 4 and 6 says the book was written for the church, the congregation. And he says grace and peace are for the church. They're always listed in that order. And why is it listed in that order? Because you can't have peace unless you have grace. You got to have grace of Jesus Christ first. And if you don't have grace in your life, you can't have true peace. You ever thought about that? Because grace comes from Jesus. You get grace washing over your life, and then you got peace. And without grace and without Jesus, you don't know peace. And some of you don't have peace today because you don't know Jesus. Some of you young people may not have peace today. And you're looking for peace in all the wrong places, and you won't find peace until you know Jesus. And grace means Christ's riches at God's riches at Christ's expense. It means that God sent Jesus to die for our sins. When you didn't have to die, Jesus died for you, forgive you of your sins. So at the invitation time, your response may be, I want to have Jesus in my life, and I want forgiveness for my sins. Verse number 7 and 8 tells us Jesus one day will have a visible and a victorious return. Look, he's coming in the clouds. Every eye is going to see him, including those who pierced him, and all the families of the earth will mourn over him. This is certain. Amen. Y'all been to a cemetery lately? I was there Friday at a funeral. Do you know that cemeteries, all of them, people that are buried in cemeteries, they laid to rest and they're facing the east? Anybody know that other than me? Do you know why? Because when Jesus comes again, when's he, where's he coming? The Bible says he's coming and he's going to come from the east. He's going to split the eastern sky, and those that are dead are going to rise first. And then the rest are going to meet him in the air. 
at the second coming. And so they bury people before they rise up out of the grave. And the first thing that they see when they rise up is Jesus. The reality of it is, are you going to be ready? Only Jesus can make you ready for his victorious and visible return. Have you ever been promised something and later seen those promises come true? See, Jesus is promising that he's going to come, but he doesn't even know when he's coming again. The Bible says only the Father knows when he's coming again. Now, somebody just the other week said he was going to come on a Saturday. Did anybody hear that report other than me? I guess we missed it, didn't we? Because he didn't come unless we got left and we weren't part of the chosen ones. But I, I thought I was part of the chosen, and you know, I'm sure you did too. But he did, Because the reality is nobody knows when he's coming, even Jesus himself. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, and the Father hasn't said yet, go get him. But when the Father says, go get him, that's when he's going to rise up off the throne and split the eastern sky, and he's going to bring his children home to be with him. See, you and I are aliens and strangers here. Look at the person next to you and say, you look like an alien to me. You're a stranger. You really are because this isn't your home. This isn't home for you. This isn't your eternal home. If you're a believer, your home is heaven. Amen? And we need to start acting like that. Because if we start acting like everybody else down here, then nobody's going to know that there's a difference between us. We need to act as if we're children of the king. And we need to be acting as if we're experiencing, looking forward to what's been promised to us. My wife went into her middle-aged crisis when she turned 50. Many of you know Kathy. Kathy always wanted a convertible. Never had a convertible. And I decided when she turned 50, I was going to get that girl a convertible. And she wore the wheels off that first one. Burn up the motor in it. And uh, she had that, I got it on her 50th birthday, and I told her friend, Deborah, who they just left on a girl's cruise this morning, and I went on vacation myself, started this morning. Oh, Lord help me, I didn't say that, no. Uh, but it, actually, they went on a girl's cruise this morning with some girls from h and Block. They left today. And uh, so... Deborah, I said, Deborah, I want you. We're going to have it at the house. We're going to have our 50th birthday party out in the backyard. I want you to drive that convertible around to the backyard, and so we'll surprise her. And I was so looking forward to seeing the expression on her. Have you ever surprised somebody with something you knew they really wanted? And you were just so excited to let them. You know, when you're kids, you got something that they really wanted for Christmas, and you got it, and you wanted to see their expression on their face when they opened that gift. Well, you should have seen her face. And then when she jumped in the driver's seat and Deborah jumped in the passenger seat, they looked like two beauty queens going in the parade down the road. You know, had that hand up going down the road like that. They were so happy. That convertible burned up. And, and the reason I thought about that I was coming this morning is because she took my truck and I'm in her convertible this morning. Convertible number two. Because when it burned up, she said, what? I want another convertible. 
And I'm not too smart, but I've been married 39 years. I know if mama's not happy, nobody's going to be happy. And so she's in a red convertible this time. The other one was blue. Now it's red. And so I'm driving her convertible to get to church. But I got it for her because I knew she was anticipating something that she wanted and she was looking for. Are you looking forward to Jesus coming again? Are you looking forward to getting ready and having people to go with you? Who are you going to take with you when Jesus comes again? How should you and I live as we anticipate his return? Well, here's how we should live, and let me get done. When Jesus comes again, here's what he wants to find his church doing. There's three things. First of all, he should find his church doing what you and I were doing this morning, earlier, before I started preaching, and as we worship this morning. He should find us worshiping. He should find us witnessing, and he should find us waiting for his return. Let me talk to you about those for just a minute. First of all, when we talk about witnessing, he should find us witnessing to others because he was the faithful witness. That's what John was. Because of his devotion to Christ, we've got this letter the witness of the revelation, to tell us a glimpse of what the end time is going to be like. You and I need to be witnesses for Jesus today. When we get to heaven, I don't think we're going to be asked, well, you know, know, what did you believe in? I think we're going to be asked, how many people did you bring with you to heaven? Because heaven in John 14 tells me it's going to be a place with many rooms. It's not going to be a no vacancy sign in heaven. It's plenty of room. And we need to be taking people with us. There's two paths on the way to heaven, One, uh, two paths in life. One's narrow, and not many people find it. One's wide, and there's a lot of people on it. The one that's wide, I'm not implying y'all on that wide path. That wide path that's over here. The wide path leads to destruction. The narrow path leads to life eternal. Few find it. And those that are on the narrow path, guess what? Our job is to take the people that are over here on this wide path and get them on the narrow path with us. Get people over here on the narrow path to heaven through our witness. My grandson Ashton came to faith in Christ last year. And you know the first thing he said was, Mama, I got to tell somebody about Jesus. I got to tell somebody about Jesus. When Jesus comes again, he should find his church worshiping. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What did he see? One like the Son of Man among the lampstands. The lampstand, as I said, doesn't originate light. It only conveys light. It doesn't have any light in itself. It's a symbol of the glory of God. And you and I are symbols of the glory of God out in this world, projecting the light of Christ to people that don't know Jesus Christ. And you and I are the glory of the church. And it tells us that he had eyes of fire. And the church is not being what it should be because you and I need to be cleansed by his eyes of fire. His voice was like many waters. Have any of you ever hiked up to a waterfall and you had somebody standing beside you and you're talking to them and you can't hear what they're saying because the sound of the water is so loud. His voice is much louder than that. And he's saying, get busy in your worship of me. 
And some of us are belly aching about the kind of worship, and I don't like those songs, and I don't like what we do in church, and all of that. And and uh, the reality of it is, it's all about our preferences. If we're not real careful, it's not about Him at all. And you know, when we come in here, it ought to be about Him, not about us. And if the church is to be what He intended then we've got to hold on to his hand. And coming out of his mouth was a two-edged sword. The sword was to save or to slay, depending on how it was used. His countenance was like the sun at midday. We can't look at the sun, it's too brilliant, nor could John look at the Son of God. And when John saw him, he knew what to do. John knew what to do. He fell at his feet as if he were dead because he knew that Jesus alone held the keys to death and hell. He alone was in control. No wonder John fell at his feet in worship because he knew who was in control. Do you know who's in control today? It's not you. It's not the government. It's not us. It's God. So maybe you and I need to do the same thing that John did. John heard a voice, and he had to turn and look. And when he looked, he saw the living Lord Jesus Christ. Where was Jesus all along? Jesus had been walking among the church all along. Jesus had been there all along. And so many times we get caught up in the numbers, we get caught up in the uh, stuff, as I said, that don't matter. And we get so frustrated with each other that we miss Jesus. And we miss Jesus, we missed what church has been all about to begin with. So we see John witnessing, worshiping, and last of all, we see John waiting. Friends, Jesus is coming again. So what do you and I need to be doing while we're waiting for Jesus to come again? We got to see people the way Jesus saw them. We got to see people the way Jesus saw people. And we got to serve people the way Jesus served people. Y'all remember that story of the Good Samaritan? Do you remember who was too busy to take care of that Samaritan man who was over in the ditch and the Samaritans and the Jews weren't supposed to get, weren't getting along with each other. They didn't even care about each other. And it was the Jewish man that walked by on the other side and didn't care for him as he was dying in the ditch. The Samaritan man who had been beat up and robbed. It was the religious man who walked by because he didn't have time for him either. But it was a Samaritan man who cared for him, who took time. The man who was least like him to be the person to care. I want you to turn over to one verse of Scripture and I'll close. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, 7 and 8. I don't want you to miss this, and I'll be done. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Now the end of all things is near. 
1 Peter 4, 7 and 8. Now, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-headed, disciplined for prayer. Above all things, keep your love for one another at full strength, since love covers a multitude of sins. What do you and I need to be doing as churches while we wait for Jesus to come again? We need to be praying. We need to be praying. I'm not talking about just a little prayers. God bless our food. God bless the gift and the giver. I'm not talking about little sentence prayers. I'm not. We need to be praying. Those two ladies at Church 213 came to me six weeks ago and said, God's put it on our heart to ask churches to awaken the church to pray. And we want to ask churches in Stone Mountain Association in our area if they'll open their doors on Mondays to be places of prayer where people can come and pray at the church during their lunch hour from 11 to 1, 11.30 to 1. Just open the church for people to come pray. They got six churches already that people are gathering there to pray. I said, I think it's a great idea. Our office is open for that time for people just to come by and pray. Don't have any agenda. Nobody's preaching. Everybody just comes there and gathers and prays. God's drawing some people to pray. Why? Because we need revival. We need changed lives. We need to pray. We need to witness. And we need to worship like never before. And we need to love people like we've never loved them before. The character of the church is summed up in this one word. You go over to the church at Laodicea in chapter 3. That's your homework. Read chapters 2 and 3. I've talked about them. It said that church was lukewarm. I don't know if you've been out working in the yard, you've been out working and you work outside and you, you get real thirsty. You ever go into the house and say, boy, I, what I really want is I want a glass of lukewarm water. And you turn on the faucet and say, let me get some lukewarm water right now. No. You go to the refrigerator, you get some ice, don't you? And you get some ice water. You don't get lukewarm water because lukewarm water is actually kind of nauseating, isn't it? And that's what Jesus said the church was. It was kind of nauseating. And I wonder if he wouldn't say to the American church today, not just Solid Rock, but church in general, hey, it's kind of nauseating when I see some of the condition of the church. And when he's talking about church, he's not talking about church buildings. He's talking about church people. That's kind of nauseating. The whole thing is kind of distressing him. And he said, I want you to pray, I want you to love, and I want you to be the people that I told you in my instruction manual that I want you to be witnessing, worshiping, and waiting for my return because the Savior is waiting for you. The end of that chapter, the most misread and misinterpreted verse is verse number 20. I've heard preachers, I've been guilty of it myself. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone comes in, not, uh, opens the door and uh, opens the door for me, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. I've heard preachers, when they gave the invitation, they came down and stood at the front and said, 
Jesus is knocking on your heart's door. If you'll open the door, he'll come in and he'll come into your life. But you know, the context of that verse is not about a person's heart door. The context of that verse is about a church door. Because that letter was written to a church. Meaning that Jesus was on side, outside of a church. Jesus knocking on the outside of his church, his bride. Let me back in the church. Y'all have a church and I'm not even in there. May it never be said of your church. May it never be said of your life that Jesus has been left out, that he's on the outside. The Savior is waiting for you.